Joining me this week, as always, is Mr. Stephen Van Meter. And today, I'm going to ask Steve a very important question. Steve, I want to know if you know, this is a common statistic cited throughout the internet and throughout most monetary discourse. Do you know, Steve, that the U.S. dollar has lost approximately 97.2% of its value in the last 110 or so years, ever since the Federal Reserve showed up on the scene in 1913, December 23rd, I think it was, the act was signed, 1913, the Fed's operations they began in early 1914, and from there, the dollar has gone like this. Well, no, it's gone. It went like this, and then this, and then this, and then, then it went like that. Okay, so over the last 100 years, the dollar has lost approximately 97.2% of its value, which means we need to get rid of the dollar and start with something else because that, that must have created so much heartache that we need to begin anew, right? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I mean, that's it. We need to get rid of the Federal Reserve because clearly they can't manage the currency. They are they are actively debasing it. We have evidence, as you said, ever since the Federal Reserve came around, they've secretly debased the dollar. And yet what is shocking to me is this country has seen unrivaled and unparalleled economic prosperity in that time. And yet people think that the dollar going down is actually a bad thing when in fact the dollar losing its value is exactly the reason our country has experienced the prosperity it has today. Okay, hold on here. There's a whole lot of stuff in that answer. First of all, that's going to get a lot of people riled up and rightfully so, so starting with me, because you just equated the Federal Reserve with all of that prosperity. So we've got essentially a bunch of different issues caught up together. So I'm starting to see why people might get both emotional as well as somewhat confused about what's going on. So what we know is, yes, the dollar has lost its purchasing power over the last century. And of course, you have to go out a very long ways because you have to go a long ways to get that sort of number. Number two, at the same time, <clears throat> excuse me, at the same time the dollar has lost all of its purchasing power, those using the dollar have been able to purchase an unrivaled amount of new goods and new services in quantities that people generations before could scarcely have dreamed of. So those two things are at least coincidental. The dollar's value has gone down. Our level of prosperity has gone way up. And you just put the Federal Reserve in the middle of all that, which means that at least coincidentally, the Fed's existence coincides with the dollar's falling value and prosperity going up. So we should we should we be thanking Alan Greenspan and Arthur Burns and William McChesney Martin and Benjamin Strong and all of these Federal Reserve officials throughout the ages? The answer, of course, is no. <laughs> That's just correlation. So we gotta we gotta untangle correlation from causation. So we know the dollar's gone down and prosperity's gone up. Now what? Where do we go from here? Yeah, because that, I think we're getting to the crux of the argument, and that is we should not actually send Jerome Powell Christmas gifts and thank him because he's creating this unparalleled amount of economic prosperity. I think, Jeff, as you pointed out, there's a real key thing here is, yes, the dollar is losing value. That is actually the design of the monetary system. This should happen. 
Because let's just say for the sake of argument, the exact opposite happened. Let's say, Jeff, I'm going to ask you, what would happen if the dollar tripled in value, say, over the next six months? What would that mean to the U.S. economy and the global economy? Would it change anything? Well, we know that when the dollar's value goes up, at least against other currencies, purchasing power is a little bit of a different topic. But in general terms, we've observed over the last 15 years in particular, the dollar's value keeps going up um, contrary to all the all the epitaphs that have been written about its demise. The dollar keeps going up and up and up, and it doesn't work out well for anybody using the dollar, right? As the dollar goes up, now, again, purchasing power is a different story, but the dollar's exchange value goes up and economic growth seems to fall off. It leads to all sorts of political and social instability. So I think we do have to reassess our understanding, at least, of what's going on with the dollar in terms of purchasing power, its exchange value, and how that fits into the overall economic case. Right, because one of the key things here as a global reserve currency, and Jeff, you and I have talked about this on your show before, is the global economy needs a constant expansion. It doesn't have to be a linear expansion. It just needs more and more dollars. That is how our global monetary system works. We need an expansion of the reserve currency. So by nature of that, if you're going to expand something, then the value of it actually must go down. This is why, and I want our listeners to understand, our viewers to understand, when the dollar goes up in value, all of a sudden, what do we start to hear about? Dollar shortages, global dollar shortages. You start to hear about talks about maybe we need a different reserve currency. Maybe we need an alternative currency. Maybe we need a backup currency. It's all because the design of the system is predicated on the dollar losing value. Now, those of you that are looking at this saying, well, wait a minute, what you're telling me is the money I have in my wallet is going to lose value. The money in my bank account, yes, the brokerage account, yes, it's going to lose value. What we're also suggesting to you is, is that you not keep it in cash in perpetuity, that you use that and reinvest it in some other form, whether it's the stock market or the bond market, or you can go to start a business, or there's any number of things you can do, but the idea that you're going to hold on to dollars for decades upon decades and expect it to store its value is not how the system is designed to work. Exactly. If if we were under a gold exchange or a real gold standard, then those little pieces of paper that you have in your pocket would be worth however they're, however, however much gold that's convertible into. And then it would be a store of value because you'd had this piece of paper which you could walk into a treasury department agency or a bank and say, excuse me, I'd like to exchange this piece of paper from some, for some commodity money. Then that piece of paper becomes a store of value and we wouldn't want it to lose its value. But we haven't been on that sort of standard at least since 1933, 1934. So it's not applicable to our own daily lives. And if you're thinking about putting those pieces of paper or storing money in the digital format that it, that it comes in today, then you're always going to be losing because, as Steve pointed out, the global economy needs more dollars and the supply of dollars doesn't always match the demand for it. There's always some frictions. There's always some inefficiencies. And by and large, we're going to supply more currencies than, than, is, than I hate to use the word is necessary, but then is usable in its immediate, it, it's, it, its immediate format. And so by and large, in general, supplying more currency than is again required leads to hope, what we hope to be gently falling prices. But the 
what what's the the trade off where we win? Yes, if you're holding currency, the value of the currency goes down, but the ec- the economy, economic growth, the widespread employment, living standards, those all rise in a way that you don't immediately connect to the falling value of the dollar. So we are all better off by this elastic currency system, even if individually we st- we try to store our savings in these in this currency medium that's losing its money. It's not the fault of the currency medium. It's the fault of not understanding the entirety of the exchange here. And as Steve said, if you're interested in protecting your money from from the inevitable decline in its purchasing power for each individual unit, then use that medium of exchange to buy other assets that can do the same thing. So the global economy does really well when the dollar loses its purchasing power because the dollar is supplying enough of itself to allow the rest of the economy to go up. Exactly. And so I think you just made a key point here, Jeff, is we shouldn't be looking at the dollar as a store of value. We should be looking at it as a medium of exchange. And let's use maybe a simple example is let's say I have a dozen apples and and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a farmer, I have an orchard, you are a baker, and you say, we, we determine the exchange rate is two loaves of bread for a dozen apples. And you really need apples, and I only need one loaf of bread. Well, that that's a problem because now I have two loaves of bread, I can't eat it fast enough, that one's going to go bad, you refuse to take half a dozen apples for one loaf, that means I have to now stop picking apples or growing apples or doing whatever I'm doing and go out and try to find someone to exchange my extra loaf of bread for, for something that I actually need or can in the temporary time hold its value long enough so I can exchange it. So what the dollar is doing here is giving us a median of exchange so we can say, hey, you know what? I don't need that extra loaf of bread. And you say, well, fine, I'll give you one loaf of bread plus some money for your apples. Well, now I have some money. Now I'm not gonna sit on that for decades Now, maybe I'll exchange it later that day or later that week or sometime that month. But what it does is it gives me the optionality to trade it for something I need without having to take something I don't want. And that's, again, the medium of exchange rather than store of value, because we're looking to intermediate through both financial as well as commercial transactions. And the best medium of exchange is one that is available in a wide enough plate, in wide enough coverage both finance as well as commerce. And unfortunately, to have enough coverage, you have to have enough medium. You have to have enough currency, which which tends to mean over time you're overdoing it. Now, this does not mean Steve and I are not arguing here that the system that we've been using for the last 70, 80 years, really, go really, you can go back further, but that doesn't mean it was perfect. This doesn't mean that it was always good. I mean, you can think of several examples where it was not good. One of those being, of course, 1965 to 1982, what we call the Great Inflation, when this elastic medium became way, way too elastic. And it supplied too much medium, which which allowed for actual genuine inflation to take hold in the real economy. And that's really when you see the dollar's purchasing power plummet the most. When the the system, the monetary medium that we were using during that time got out of control. In another period that has not worked out very well has been ever since August 9th of 2007. In this period, the system has gone in the opposite direction, where we now have too little medium of exchange, which has led to enormous 
consequences that, once again, we don't always link to the monetary system and the economic, political, and social outcomes that we're experiencing. But having too little medium of exchange creates its own set of problems, which suggests that there's other things that we need to consider, including maybe why China is sending all of its balloons suddenly across the ocean into the United States airspace, because that is a political consequence for a country that has suffered an enormous dollar problem. And that dollar problem is not quantitative easing. It's, in fact, the other, as Steve mentioned, dollar shortage. Right. And Jeff, I think, you know, I think let's bring this full circle. I, we do want to talk about China here, but I want to bring this full circle. Why do you and I talk about things like euro dollar futures curves, yield curves, inversions? Because what do they tell us? I mean, if we're looking you know, at the global economy and we're agreeing that, look, the system we have isn't perfect, but this is what we have and it's not going away tomorrow. It's not something you can just swap out and change. How do you tell whether you're in a situation where there's a global dollar shortage or otherwise? And that's why we talk about the yield curves, because they give us the best barometer, the best indicator of where we're at, which is telling us that right now, despite all this claim that inflation and whatnot is going to be persistent, despite the claims the global economy is going to be expanding in a big way, the curves are telling us that, hey, wait a minute, maybe those things can happen. But before you get to that, we have to address that there's this massive global dollar shortage occurring right now. Yeah, and that's, I think, the, the big overriding picture. I agree with you, Steve, is that if we're looking to fix the dollar system because it needs to be fixed, we need to we need it at least to start from the position of understanding what what the dollar system actually is that we have now, and it's not as simple as just as you said. It's not just like hey, we're going to flip a switch and we're going to start with something brand new tomorrow. That's that's just not that's just out of the question. I've done a number of videos recently about what a global reserve currency needs to do. I talked about the story about this guy in 1984 from Arkansas who went to Sydney, Australia, stuck a plastic piece of card in an ATM and got currency to come out. The amount of effort and infrastructure that goes on into this dollar system and providing enough liquid currency all over the planet is just staggering. So changing the dollar system is, it's an enormous task and everybody's got their own ideas about what to do about it. None of them seem to relate to an actual medium of exchange. We're always talking about the store value. And so my overriding point really is about let's look at what the dollar system has done, particularly since the end of World War II up until around 2007. We can say, yeah, there was a lot that was wrong there, but there was also a whole hell of a lot that was right. Because as we said before, even though the dollar's purchasing power went down, prosperity went way up, not just here in America. And again, I say this as somebody who grew up in the Rust Belt, so I know that there's a downside to this. But in general, prosperity went way up across more of humanity than has ever been even thought of in history. But there's still a lot that can be done. There's a lot of places around the world that need an effective medium of exchange, that need to access that prosperity so that we can continue to build upon a stable society. At least that's the direction we were heading before the dollar system broke down in 2007. And now that the dollar system is broken down, it's in the other direction, not quantitative easy hyperinflation. Now we've got Chinese balloons. What is that all about? Yeah, so Jeff, let's talk about China because we're talking about the dollar going to nothing. 
China, we, you know, maybe they're going to be the next reserve currency, although I'll take any amount of bets that that's not going to happen. But let's talk about what China is doing right now, because maybe you haven't heard because they did this once in the past, well, many times in the past, but there's a big impulse, a credit impulse coming from China. They're going to flood their economy or they're flooding their economy with money right now. And sure enough, that should go flooding out to the rest of the world, create a big wave of inflation, a big wave of prosperity. Maybe this isn't a dollar story anymore. Maybe it's China that's really driving this bus. Oh, man, that was such a softball right down the middle of the plate. <laughs> yes, I'm. Yes, we. everybody heard the stories about this massive credit impulse in China. In, in terms of bank lending and companies borrowing from banks uh, in January, it was. It was an enormous amount of bank loans. But what you didn't hear across most of the rest of the mainstream headlines shouting about China and its flood of currency was that companies were forced out of the bond market into banks. And when you look at total social financing in January 23, it was actually less than the amount of January 2022. There was a fair amount of deleveraging in January, that's last month, reopening, zero COVID's gone, deleveraging in government, government bonds as well as corporate bonds, and a big one to me, bankers' acceptances, undiscounted acceptances, which has a lot to do with financing trade. That one crashed. And we see a lot of stuff about China reopening recently. We don't have a lot of data yet. We won't till next month because of the combined January, February, Golden Week period. But what we see so far is that if all you've got is this RMB loans from, from, uh, from companies, you don't have a whole lot. We see credit rate, or it's not credit rates, uh, container rates, shipping rates, all sorts of market, uh, market uh, positions telling us Chinese are in a lot of trouble here. The reopening seems to be going a lot like it did six months ago, which, uh, since we're still talking about this, could not have gone very well at all. All right, Jeff. So maybe that's true. Maybe there's nothing to this impulse thing and it's being blown out of proportion. But maybe there's something that you're missing here is I've heard the Chinese consumers are sitting on mounds and mounds and mounds of cash. I don't know if it's a trillion or more. You know, we heard this this happen in America that consumers were just loaded up with cash and so eager to spend it that it was going to drive inflation and strip stores of all their inventory. Can't this happen now in China again? Are we going to see the Chinese consumer come out and now really drive the global economy? What do you think? Well, Chinese consumption is tied heavily to household prices, not household prices, real estate prices, home prices. So household assets are heavily or savings are heavily tied to real estate. And Chinese Chinese consumers proclivity, proclivity to spend depends a lot on what happens in the real estate market. And housing prices have been falling for several months. Has nothing to do with zero COVID and has everything to do, lot to do with lack of economic growth leading to Xi Jinping's common prosperity. There's a whole story there. But the bottom line is in January, households were not taking out mortgages either because they, they sense that the real estate problem is going to be protracted. And if the real estate problem, housing prices are going to continue to decline, Chinese consumers are quite prudently going to continue to save, not spend, because they're very much concerned about what is their largest household asset. And it's not necessarily the home that they're living in. A lot of these apartment blocks and buildings are used as investment vehicles. And if the value of those investment vehicles continues to decline, 
if you're one of those Chinese who own them and that's your savings, of course you're going to start putting money away because you're deathly afraid of your biggest asset depreciating in value. That's not going to lead to savings, nor is it an indication of future future spending. It's an indication of just how how uh, afraid and risk averse Chinese households have become. Well, Jeff, do you think that means we get more balloons or what? <laughs> I think I've always said that when the rate of economic change goes down, rate of political change goes way up. And I have to think that this, this balloon stuff is uh, this is not a good sign about either the economy or the politics. Well, I think that sums it up for us, right? Yeah. So we've got the dollar collapsing in value is a good thing. Chinese balloons, we don't know what to make of. And uh, this enormous credit impulse that is not what it seems. So total confusion and chaos, just which is basically how you can sum up this uh, the beginning of 2023 in pretty much any category you want. Right, Steve? Well, either that or we could just say simply the curve got it right once again. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's too early for that. Let's We'll save that for later. Thanks as always. We'll see you next week, Steve. All right. Thanks, Jeff.